And by the way, we do have some uh, children's worship bags, uh, and children are more than welcome to go grab them. They are right out the back double doors on the table. So children, if you don't have one and you need one, feel free to, to grab one. All right, this morning we are looking at, uh, at Palm Sunday, the text from uh, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. So if you'll turn to Luke chapter 19, if I can find it. I thought I had it marked. Luke 19. By the way, if there are any mistakes in your bulletin, they're my fault. Gloria was out Thursday and Friday. And um, praise God for Gloria. That's all i got to say for that. Praise God for Gloria. Uh, so this morning we're going to look at verses 28 through um, 44. 28 through 44. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as, they, as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus upon it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon you. Excuse me. They will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for Palm Sunday and the revealing of your son as the king. Uh, Lord, we cry out Hosanna uh, as we sing praises to you and rejoice in the salvation that you have given to us through Christ. I pray, Father, as we look at this text, a text that has been preached many times and many have heard it many, many times. Lord, I pray that you make it fresh to our eyes. Uh, Lord, show us our need for a king. Uh, work in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And the preacher and hearer alike, and it's in the name of Christ we ask it. Amen. Our text ends with a very important word. Uh, visitation. Visitation. I once heard of a preacher uh, who named his fishing boat Visitation. That way he could say, I'm heading out on visitation. And, uh, and he could spend some time fishing. We use the word visitation in many different ways. Uh, like we could say that we didn't make it to the funeral, but we made it to the visitation. This word here, though, and how it is used is a very technical word, and it means an official visit by someone in authority, someone like a king. In fact, it was used often uh, to speak of when a king would make a royal visit. It, it would be much like if the CEO of your company, you know, if you work at a Fortune 500 company, and he calls you and says, hey, I'd like to come by to your office for a visit. 
That's not a chit-chat, right? Now, hopefully, it's a good visit, but it is going to be an official visit from the CEO of the company. Well, this is what has happened. God has visited his people. He came for a visit, not a chat. It was an official visit. It was an official royal visit. And now we are within a week of it being wrapped up, more or less. And here in our text, he's welcomed, uh, as clear from the other texts in, in, the, in the Gospels as well, he's welcomed by most. The crowds rejoice, and they're, they're crying out, Hosanna. Some aren't happy to see him, like the Pharisees, but most are happy to see him. They think that this royal visit is one that will end with the Romans overthrown. They are rejoicing that this is the son of David. They're, they're kind of thinking, hey, this might really be the Messiah. Let's welcome him here. And by the end of the week, maybe we'll have our own nation state again. Well, Jesus' visit, his visitation, was for another reason altogether. A, a much more uh, weighty reason. A much more important reason, much more important than just an Israelite kingdom. He was coming to establish his own kingdom, and yet his own would reject him. Have you, have you rejected the king, or have you accepted him? This morning, I want us to ask the question, why, three times. Um, why would the king visit his people? Uh, why would the king weep? And why will the king return? Okay, so that's our framework. First, why would the king visit his people? Well, first of all, quite simply, because he said he would. Um, this was a well-publicized visitation. In fact, we really get a hint of it all the way back in Genesis 3.15, where we have what's called the first gospel, that the seed of the, of the woman would come to uh, crush the head of the seed of the serpent. So this is something that God's people have been looking forward to for a long time. But, but also, very specifically, God told his people he was coming. The Jewish people have been looking for their king, the Messiah, the Christ, to come for a, a long time. And they knew that one day there would be a king who would come and sit on the throne of his father David and would rule with justice and mercy and righteousness. In fact, they reenacted this. They, 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 enacted, they acted this out every year in the Old Testament, at least when they were being a, a good people. And what they would do is they would reenact the coronation of their king. And it was a way of, of pointing towards the coronation, the coming of the true king, of the true Davidic king, the Messiah. And do you know what they would cry out when they did this? They would cry out, Psalm 118, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Huh, that's exactly what we have in our text in verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But there was another really important direct prophecy about this day, about this whole donkey thing. You know, here's the thing. This, this was, it wasn't far from the Mount of Olives down to Jerusalem. It was about a half mile. Jesus had been walking around for years. Right? I mean, he'd, been, he'd walked all through Perea and Judea and up, to, you know, up on the outer skirts of, of what would be considered uh, the Israelite lands of the day. He had walked a lot. And then all of a sudden, is he tuckered out as he gets real close to Jerusalem? No. For this half mile, he is fulfilling the prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. 
humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, when they reenacted the coronation of the king every year in the Old Testament, do you know what they would do? They put him on a donkey. And he'd ride from Mount Olive, Mount of Olives, which is about a half mile outside the old city of Jerusalem, and he'd ride down the hill, or actually ride up the hill, up, down and, and then up, uh, to Jerusalem. He would go there. And then they would cry out Psalm 118. And so here, for the first time in hundreds of years, we have someone riding on a donkey into Jerusalem with Psalm 118 being quoted. No one is oblivious to what's going on here. Everyone knows that Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be the true Davidic king. And the crowds are rejoicing. I like using this illustration. I, I, I use it every year. Um, if, if at the end of the service we walked out and we were stopped by a, a barricade of policemen and a 50-car convoy comes rolling past and it has ambulances, it has more state troopers than you've seen in your lifetime. It has a, a couple Suburbans full of SWAT teams and there are helicopters flying all over us and then right in the middle is a seven-ton black Cadillac up-armored and it has two little flags in the front. And one of them is an American flag, and the other one has the presidential seal on it. Who do you think that is? Right? Everybody knows that that would be the president. Well, that's what's going on here. That's how obvious it is to this crowd that the king has arrived. Well, as we think about this first question, why did the king come? Well, he came because he said he would. So how does all this happen? Well, Jesus has been traveling around for three years in his earthly ministry. And he's been telling his disciples, Hey, here's what's about to happen. We're about to go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. Then I'm going to rise from the grave. And they don't, they don't get it. They, they don't get it. They don't understand. And so as it's time to go to Jerusalem, they go to Jerusalem. Here it is, Palm Sunday. Time to triumphal entry into, uh, into Jerusalem. And so Jesus knows of a donkey either because he knows the owner or because he's God. Uh, we don't know. And as he gets close to the villages of Bethphage and Bethany, he calls a couple of his disciples. We don't know if they're one of the twelve or maybe blind Bartimaeus, who has recently started following Jesus from Jericho. That just happened. And he says, hey, go into this village in front of you, and there you're going to find this, colt, this donkey tied up. And, and get it and bring it back here. Now let me ask you something. If somebody showed up at your house to take your ride, how would you feel about that? You might have some questions. And so <laughs> they did have some questions, but Jesus anticipated that. He said, look, if they asked, just tell them the Lord has need of it. Apparently they were followers of Jesus. That's what seems to be the indication from this text. And, and so this happens. And so they, hey, why are, you, why are you taking my donkey? They said, the Lord has need of it. I said, okay, take it. I would imagine they probably followed behind, don't you? To see what was going on. Let's, the Lord has need of it. I wonder what he has a need for a donkey. I wonder if that's the old Zechariah 9 passage. Let's go check this out. And so they go and they take the donkey back to Jesus. And they take Jesus and they set him on it after putting their cloaks on the donkey. Everybody's waiting. I mean, the crowds have gathered. This isn't going to take long. And there are many who are crying out along the, the road, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Well, some are happy. Seems like the crowds are happy that have come out. 
Others are not happy. The Pharisees are being Pharisaical. I guess that's the definition of being a Pharisee. And they're, uh, they're I guess, in, in fear of losing the crowds. And so they begin to rebuke Jesus. Because, see, they understand the full import of what's going on. They, they know this is more than just a family reunion or, hey, I'm excited to see you. In fact, they, they tell Jesus, look, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop. And don't you love Jesus' response? It's just like Jesus to say this, isn't it? He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The Pharisees might have wanted to keep all this from happening, but nothing could stop it. If they had stopped the crowds, God's very creation would rise up in recognition of what was going on. The king was coming to his city. Well, we can answer this question, why did Jesus come? One, because he said he would. But then there's the why of what was he going to accomplish. And, and quite simply, he came to die and to be raised again from the dead. He came to fulfill that cry of Hosanna, God save us. He came to save his people. See, a good king sees the threats that face his people, then he does something about it. Don't you remember God when he, was, uh, when he remembered, quote-unquote, like he'd forgotten, he called to mind and acted towards his people to save them from the exodus, in the exodus from Egyptian slavery? Well, this is the second exodus, the greater exodus, where he has come as our king to deliver us from the power and the guilt of sin. See, God is a God of justice. And the one thing that especially was threatening his people, that was threatening us, was the fact that we were in rebellion against him. We had rebelled against the Lord God Almighty. We had rebelled against our king. And here's the thing, though we had rebelled against him, who's the only one who could fix that rebellion? Who's the only one who could pay for that rebellion? It was the king himself. See, there is a king, there is a Lord, and his name is Jesus And every time we sin against the king and his royal law contained in the word of God, there is a moral debt that is incurred. There is a record of our wrong. And that wrong, along with the guilt that we inherit from Adam, keeps us far from God. Indeed, according to Romans chapter 5, it makes us God's enemies. So the king would come to save those who were his enemies. You can't make that up. What king would do that? What king would take upon himself the wrath that those who had rebelled against him deserve? There's only one king I know. He is God. See, what we deserved was hell. But God so loved the world, the world that had been thrown into rebellion against him, that he would give, that he would send his only son And yet, what would his covenant people do? They would kill him. They would kill God's son on Good Friday. But my friends, it wasn't an accident. They didn't have the authority to take away the life of Christ. Only Jesus had the authority to lay down his life. And then he would take it back up again. And this he did willingly, because he loves you. Did did you remember that, that Jesus loves you? You know, the good news on the other side of the cross is that the, the tomb was empty. 
I love singing our song at the end of the uh, Easter service. Uh, the tomb is empty, praise be to God. Is that how it The tomb is empty, praise be to God. I look forward to singing that next week, don't you? So we rejoice that the tomb was empty. This is our salvation. This is our forgiveness. Without the empty tomb, we would just still be dead in our trespasses and sins, heading to hell. Our king would have died, and if our king died and remained dead, then we would have no hope. Well, something as paltry as death could not hold the Creator. No chains are that powerful, not even the grave. So why did Jesus come? Why did the king come on a visit? First, because he said he would, and second, because he came to do something to achieve our salvation. Praise be to God. The second thing is, why would the king cry? Why would the king cry? See, we have this in verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Have you ever been in the presence of somebody where the weeping is so intense it almost gets embarrassing? That's what goes on here. This, this is not a polite tearing up. Jesus wails. In fact, one definition I found says it's, it's a violent display of emotion. And, I mean, and here they are. They're on the way to the city, and then it's not a long trip. And he stops... And he just begins to wail. I wonder what the crowds would have thought about that. You know, this isn't quite what we expected. Something's different here. It's not good when the king cries. You know, as far as I can remember, the only three times that Christ wails or weeps. If you find another one, let me know. Uh, First is at Lazarus' grave, then in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then here. Why? Why would he do this? Verse 44, there's, we can say a lot, but it ultimately boils down to verse 44. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. The king had come. God had come to earth. Jesus was and is fully God and man. He is God incarnate. And the king had fully announced. It was a well-publicized tour. They knew it was going to come. And yet what had the vast majority of people done? They had rejected him. They had rejected their king. And a few days later, right, the very ones who are crying out, Hosanna, many will be saying in John 19, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Wow. Like even if they didn't think Jesus was king, who is their real king? God. They had rejected God, and they had rejected His Son. Why would the king weep? Well, it's because our God is a God of love and justice. It's not either or, it is and. He is a holy God and a merciful God. He had, out of love, come to earth. He had taken on flesh, and He would soon die a violent death upon the cross. He would soon be the one upon whom all of the wrath that God would have poured out on us is poured out on Him. And He pays the penalty for all that we have done. Um, And yet, those who reject Jesus, those who were rejecting Him then, justice would soon come. Why is He wailing? Well, one of the reasons is because in 40 years, in 40 years, 
the very same king who will be crucified on Good Friday by the Romans will send the Romans to destroy Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be destroyed in AD 70, including the temple, and the temple will never be rebuilt. The temple was destroyed and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children were slaughtered after a long siege. It was a terrible, horrific scene. And Jesus knew it was coming because He had planned on it. And this causes Him to weep, for they have rejected their King, and He knows the cost they will soon pay. He had come to save His people from something uh, much more terrifying than even the Romans, though. He had come to save them from the terrifying scene of hell, which you and I deserve. And so many have rejected Him. And who is Him? He is the King, and He is our only hope in this life and the next. This caused our King to weep. If they'd only known, He says, the things that bring peace. Do you know that there is peace available between you and God? Did you know this? If you're not in Christ, you're not at peace with God. No matter how hard you try to distract yourself, to keep yourself busy, to inoculate yourself from having to deal with your own mess. If you're not in Christ, you're not at peace with God. But there is peace available. There is one who has come to make peace, to reconcile us to God. Colossians 1.19 tells us this, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. It was a terribly high price that had to be paid. This is why our king came. He came to pay that price. Well, we've seen why the king would come. We've seen uh, why the king cried. And finally, why will the king return? There is another visit. There is another visit, and it's well publicized. We don't know the day or time. But, I mean, it, it's, everybody knows this. Even unbelievers know that one day there will be a reckoning. Uh, and that day is the wonderful day of the Lord. And for the believer, it is a great day. It is a day of vindication. It is the day of the resurrection of the dead. It is the day when we get to, if, if we are still on earth, if Christ came today, please, Lord Jesus, we would get to see our brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone before us. And we get to go out to Union Cemetery and see the graves opened up. Oh, that would be a great day. And this time, when the, when the king comes again, he's coming to stay. Not just for a little bit, but forever. Let me read you a couple passages. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Sounds like a royal visit, right? And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. When Jesus came the first time on His first royal visit, it was to deal with the guilt and the power of sin. He saved us, right? He gave us life and reconciled us to God, bringing us peace. But when He comes again, He will bring His kingdom in fullness. He will complete what He has begun. My friends, we have a king. His name is Jesus. Do you know this king? Have you submitted to him? He is king whether you recognize him or not. He is king. He is a good king. He is a loving king. And he invites you to know those things which bring peace. 
We look forward to the last day. Let me finish with these words from Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice in the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be, them as, be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And so we pray, come King Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. O King Jesus, um, hurry, do not tarry. Come, we pray, and make all things new. Uh, Lord, that you would wipe away every tear. We look forward to the day where there is no more death, there's no more crying, there's no mourning left anymore. Uh, Until then, Lord, help us to continue to submit to your rule and reign in our hearts. Uh, Lord, that we might serve the King well. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.